1: All right, welcome back to the show. Hour two now getting underway. Because this is when I have my live radio audience in Salt Lake City, I like to uh, I like to bring my guests on. This is like this is like uh, prime time, and I'm so happy to have Christian Watson back with me. Christian is a writer and a commentator and the host of his own podcast, Pensive Politics. And Christian, it's great to have you back on the show once again.
2: It's great to be here. I feel like I'm almost like a, a, a guest contributor or a contributor now. It's awesome to be here, Ryan. Thank you so much.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, I I have to confess, I've been following a lot of your tweets uh, recently on, on Twitter, and uh, I find it a great way to get good information in small, digestible, you know, um, segments. And right. you've, you've got some great stuff to offer, so I wanted to pick your ample brain today about a number of different topics. Before I do, though. I want to I want to give you a fair chance if I have have missed any of the various hats that you wear to to fill in any blanks for us. I mentioned you're a writer. You host your podcast, Pensive Politics. Um, You're also a student, are you not?
2: I am a student. I'm a stu- I am mean, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm in my junior year now at my college at Mercer University in Georgia. Uh, I'm a YouTuber as well. So my podcast is both an audio thing and a video thing. I figure that's a good blend because people cannot not just hear me like and look at some sort of static picture. They can also see me as well. Uh, and uh, I write. I do write. I do more of my podcasting my video than I do my writing, but I do write because writing is very writing is kind of like the foundation of good commentary. So basically, what I do.
1: Okay, and and I want to just. I, I want to share a conversation you and I had off the air prior to, to, to going on with the show. Um, I don't rely on labels very much. I think labels can become uh, a substitute for actual observation and using your brain. And and so you and I were kind of talking about how how easy it is to get pigeonholed. And, and sometimes people mm. will say, well, you know, Christian, I was reading something and you must be a flaming liberal or you must be a, you know, a heartless conservative or something. It's pretty hard to pigeonhole you in the sense that uh, you're a person who thinks for
2: himself. Precisely, precisely. And so here's why I don't like labels. Labels are good descriptors, but they are oftentimes used as, as determinants. And what I, what I mean by that is that When someone labels you, they're doing so so they can can conceptualize, they can think about you in a much more digestible form than you might actually be. So you could be a a very complex person who studies the arts, who does politics, who is is an axeman or whatever. But if you are labeled under the idea of being a conservative, there is a whole host of ideas and circumstances that comes with our modern idea of what a conservative is or what a liberal is that folks can better use to understand you. The problem with this is, of course, very obvious, I would hope it actually misses who you are as a person and so labels should should be used as a starting point to understanding someone not as a starting point in a conclusion because that is just both illogical and it's fundamentally mean because there's much more to me than the fact that i am a i am a right-leaning libertarian conservative that's what i am and there's but there's much more to me than that and there's much more to my opinions than that so i think that we need to strive for true understanding over just superficial labels
1: and that's a pretty tall order, particularly in an election cycle where the people are, how can I put this, a little bit tribal <laughs> in, in how they, how they mm. view the world. Right now, tribalism runs rampant, and it's, it's not just limited to politics. We're seeing it in the streets as well, but uh, I, I applaud your approach. And uh, let's dive in and let's talk about uh, let's talk about the elections that are coming up. The uh, Democratic National Committee had their convention last week. The RNC is having theirs this week. I know you've been paying attention to the RNC, but give me your overall take. Did you watch the DNC convention, for instance?
2: Uh, yes, I watched. So I, I watched two whole days. Then I got a little bit winded by all of the emotional appeals and logical fallacies that were just hitting me like a deluge. So I, I, I broke up the last two days in like little small digestible bits. I did watch Joe Biden's speech, which occurred on the fourth day in full. I watched Dr. Joe Biden's speech, which I believe occurred on the third day in full. But other than that, I, I didn't really watch the entire thing. But I did watch it. I gave a very big review on it, like a 40-minute review on it for my Pince of Politics podcast. And basically what my thoughts were, I simply I think that it was a very it was a very sad event. It was sad in the sense that the Democrats are nominating someone who clearly does not have the strength of mind or the strength of ideology. He's not, he's not all that you know, capable of defending his positions beyond platitudes, uh, you know, who, are, who is possibly going to occupy the highest office in the land. That is concerning because a president is not merely a, someone who sits in an office and does executive stuff. A president is someone who quite literally stands upon, A, the principles that America was founded upon, which transcend any political administration, B, the legacies of every other office that came before him, and C, the trust and determination of a lot of people in america so to be able to satisfy that sort of trifecta of duty you have to have a strong ideological basis for your actions joe biden does not joe biden is running to be the anti-trump joe biden is running to fulfill a promise he made a few years ago to his ailing son which i understand but still that is just that does not mean that he is qualified for the office and also he is running away from who he truly is this is why politics has a very uh, potent crisis of inauthenticity. He's running away from the 94 crime bill, which he instituted. He's running away from his previous sentiments towards drug users, saying that they're just irresponsible people. And he's running away from all of that uh, and trying to make himself as more moderate while at the same time putting someone at his side, Kamala Harris, who embodies all of that. So it was just a a, a an event – that had absolutely no correlation to reality, no correlation to go, good and sound reasoning, and it was just embarrassing.
1: I didn't get a chance to watch his speech, but I'm curious what your take was. I've I've seen enough clips of of Joe losing his way in the middle of a sentence. You know, I mean, two or three words <laughs> in, and he's and he's like, you you don't know the rest. Um, how did his speech go? Was it was it? Uh, I've heard some people say actually it may have been one of the better speeches he's ever given. Problem being, it's one he gave maybe a few years ago or may have had a little help from a Canadian politician on writing. What were your impressions?
2: (laughs) Yeah, You're mentioning the uh, plagiarism that he—yeah, so, uh, no, um, his speech. The reason a lot of the folks in the media are adulating him is the reason why a lot of folks in the media adulated President Obama or adulated anyone before President Obama who tend to be left-leaning. It's simply because Joe Biden is the most— well, right now, he is one. He is basically the only alternative towards against Donald Trump. Even though there is a very interesting lady, Joe Jorgensen, who's running the Libertarian Party nomination, but still, he is. The person that when Americans think opposite of Donald Trump, they think Joe Biden. So in the in the media, a lot of folks in the media, particularly CNN and MSNBC, where a lot of those commentators you're talking about were saying, oh, Joe Biden's speech was the best ever, you know, that Dana Bash and CNN said and everything. Uh, they're just saying that because they don't want Donald Trump to, to win the election. Well, that's number one. Uh, number two, my personal opinion, I think his speech was very structured, although it was kind of lifeless. It was kind of lethargic. It was like someone was reading off the script and doing his best not to stumble. There were several times where he paused and where he he stumbled over his words a little bit, then came back. So, it wasn't as bad as some of his other incidences where he said, you know, for example, when he said this glorious note, uh, an old, old Biden-Bama administration, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like uh, fusing the both of the words together. It wasn't as bad as that, but unfortunately, it was not anything authentic. It was very much structured, very much robotic, and just very much overall emblematic of where we are in our politics right now. So, I was not impressed whatsoever. It didn't inspire me, didn't give me hope. It just made me realize: my God, people are pushing joe biden harder than he's pushing himself which is wow indictment an indictment really i I don't want to be so harsh but it's an an indictment of where we are in politics right now an indictment seriously
1: and i saw a picture of him and kamala harris recently and you know i'm reading into this but then again way back in 1992 when bill clinton was going against george hw bush it was Mm. pointed out to me and i've watched in every presidential contest since then that the way that pictures are are posted in the in the news media, the way that the the way that they sell things to us visually, and the example that I saw was Bill Clinton looking very confident, very strong. George Bush, the picture of him, his head is is, is hanging down. He looked weak. He looked defeated. And this was before the election ever took place. So I watch for little subtle cues that someone is trying to steer me in a particular direction. And uh, in in this case. Kamala Harris is looking very strong, very capable and confident in these photos, while Joe appears to be taking maybe not a weak position, but definitely he has a a secondary position in these photos. And I think, hmm, is someone being a little more open about uh, who is likely to uh, be sitting in the Oval Office a year from now? Should Biden win?
2: As the great Rod Stewart once said, every picture tells a story. Yes, every man. single picture tells a story. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I do think that a lot of those references and a lot of those allusions are, are probably true. Uh, Joe Biden himself said before he walked this back recently, though, he said he stated resolutely, I am a transition president, which was a very vague term to say, especially when you know he's dealing with all these elements in his mind, his advanced age. Then he said, well, I didn't mean that I don't – I didn't want to serve eight years. Actually, I believe I can serve eight years, which – I don't think anyone with a prudent mind thinks he can serve eight years right now. I mean, I mean the, the guy can barely stand without a teleprompter, uh, much like his uh, much like the president he served under. <laughs> the, uh,
1: OK, we got uh, we got to take yeah. a quick break. Christian Watson is my guest. I'm going to have links to his uh, Twitter page, links to his podcast, because I want you to subscribe. We're going to come back and continue our conversation. This time we'll talk about what the Republicans are up to. Just the other side of these messages.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, welcome back to the
1: show. I do want to mention that our program is brought to you by great sponsors like the Staples Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage as well as my friends at FireSteel.com. I've actually heard from a number of friends in the last couple of days who have gone to the FireSteel.com website and and got their own fire starter. Like flint and steel, ferro rod, strike sparks, you know. It's what a caveman wishes he or she could have had many, many uh, thousands of years ago. But but this really works and it saves you from having to stockpile thousands of matches or cigarette lighters or anything like that. Again, FireSteel.com check it out if you decide if you look at their products and you say I like that I think that would be a good part of my preparedness my 72 hour kit whatever it is when you go to purchase plug in my name as the coupon code Brian with a Y -Y B-R-Y-A-N and they will take 10% off your purchase price so it's that simple firesteel.com all right I have Christian Watson joining me today and we are talking about uh, among other things politics Christian is the host of the pensive politics podcast And Christian, you watched the DNC convention. Talk to me about the RNC convention, which I guess it's still going on. It's only been two days so far, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. They have two more days left. It's going to be a four day convention. Um, But that's what I've read, at least. Oh, my. Um, So the RNC has been very interesting in these past these past two nights. Um, The first night started with a bang with um, Kimberly Guilfoyle making her speech, which was very interesting, a very loud, very um, bellowing out of a sort of uh, long-lost idea of Americanism that draws everyone together. Although I personally think, and I, I saw a few pundits on Twitter, like Guy Benson and so on and so forth, Eric Erickson saying the same thing. I personally think that speech would have been better suited for a audience, <laughs> oh. because she was a lot of folks were thinking saying that she was screaming I'm not sure there's a, there's a distinction between passion and screaming she wasn't screaming she was being passionate but her passion seemed a little bit forced in places and it just didn't work um, <laughs> but also on that night you had a uh, you had a Mexican immigrant talking about which is very important because President Trump, has been trying to repair um, the way he is portrayed in the media and broader culture around immigrants. You know, speaking about how socialism and so on and so forth has taken root across a lot of South America, which is a brilliant message. Then Senator Tim Scott, which was perhaps the best message of the night, he sat there and he extolled the principle that I have been trying to get people to understand principles over personalities, principles over people. He And he, he even said that he was not really focused all that much on the other side. He was focused very much on extolling on the principles that brought him from a, being a Chick-fil-A worker in his teens to being a United States senator who literally – he said one of the most brilliant lines in, I think, contemporary politics. My family went from a cotton to Congress in one lifetime. That is just an absolutely ins- – firing line. So the first night was a mixed bag. The second night, which just occurred last night, was also a little bit of a mixed bag for me as well because um, I think, you know, first of all, Nick Sandman, the the Covington Catholic kid who was brutally and unjustly sneered by the media uh, because there was a Native American activist who had gone up to him and they had just shown him, him smirking. They didn't show the context. They didn't show the black Hebrew Israelites you know, lambasting him for being a white boy. They didn't show the aggressive tactics of the activists. They just showed this white kid in a Make America Red Again hat smiling and they they used that as a locus to say, oh, this white kid was racist, which you know, led to a smear campaign death threats. Well, he's now having like a $250 million payout set out with CNN. He just won a big case, thankfully. He made a phenomenal speech. Um, the attorney general of Kentucky made a phenomenal speech. She's currently reciting over the Breonna Taylor case. And um, Melania Trump, she did her best. Um, she uh, it, it, There were just areas of her speech that just felt as if— she was just not all that passionate about it now of course the first lady is a very refined lady she's a very calculated lady she's a very uh she, she she's a, she's a very uh what, what is the word uh, a high class lady and so that kind of tends to bring a sense of a uh, very uh, sense, a sense of quiet almost a sense of calculation a sense of you know calm uh, which is can be good but i don't think that it worked as well as it possibly could have so the second night was a mixed bag as well but overall Republicans are doing a good job and pushing their candidate. They're doing a very good job at that. So I'll I'll give them that. But there are just some things that I wish I would see that I'm not seeing right now.
1: What would you like to see?
2: I would like to see less of an emphasis on the president and more of an emphasis on general values. <clears throat> here, right? here, So there, you have this, yep. yeah, you, you, you have an attack on socialism, which is, which is fine. Uh, although I'm not entirely sure Joe Biden is socialist menace that they are making him out to be. Bernie Sanders would have been more appropriate for that attack. Uh, you have the uh, sort of uh, affirmation of the, uh, the bootstrap mentality that a lot of uh, individuals who are conservatives have, which I agree with. Uh, you have an affirmation of the sort of frontier mentality. If you go hard at it, if you work hard at it, you shall succeed, you shall persist above your circumstances. So you have a lot of very inspiring things. But then you have a lot of doom saying, well, if you elect Democrats, socialism will come and destroy America. The Democrats hate America. But I got into a spat with a conservative writer, a, a respectful spat over, well, do the Democrats hate America? And I just – I hate that we're at this point in our political discourse where we're wondering if the other side hates the country and the other side is wondering if the other side hates poor people or hates minorities or hates black people. That is just – that is that, – that to me – Implies that there is a disease. There is a disease that is riveting the American mind, that is unable to separate people from their convictions or people from their biases, and unable to see all of us as the human family that we truly are. I don't care if you're conservative or if you're progressive. I you should not, you should never go into a conversation with the idea that your opponent hates anything or despises anything. We need to reform our language, reform our minds, and of course, the reform of our, our language and. Be respectful to each other. I am a conservative-leading person. I would never, ever assume that anyone on the other side hates America. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. They may have a different idea of America than what I want America to be. But they don't hate America. So that's that. I want to see less of the alarmist or the universal values um, postulations.
1: One of the most profound experiences I've had in the last couple of years, I've shared this with my audience before, is I, I attended a Better Angels workshop, and they took six people who identified as committed conservatives and six people who identified as very committed liberals or progressives, and we had to sit down and spend the day together, have lunch together, have this workshop together, and the one cardinal rule was no one could try to change anyone's mind. So if you wanted to ask a question, it could not be in the form, well, since we understand that abortion is murder, nope, <laughs> that wasn't allowed. You had to, you <laughs> had to sincerely ask questions to, to learn where they came from. And the, the powerful lesson that I took away from there was when the question was asked, what have you experienced that has caused you to think or to see the world you know, in the way that you do? The answers were, were very surprising because you very quickly learned um, they were neither stupid nor were they evil, but in every case, those who were answering from the political left could give a very concrete example of some legitimate pain that they had experienced or they had watched some loved one experience because of someone else being insensitive or, or being um, you know, ideological. And that was what uh, more or less formed their resolve to, well, I'm not going to be that way. And, and, it, and they all started out saying, I don't have, no, no, I don't have any example of that. But as we waited a few minutes and as we started talking, every one of them, every single one had a story. And I suspect the very same thing would be true for any of us on the political, right? Uh, the point being, like you say, if, if you just want to label people, if you just want to, if, if you want to just stick people into a corner because you can stick a label on them, you're never going to learn anything. But when you do start to understand what's behind their thinking, they may still be wrong in the sense that your principles don't align, but there's a person and and. and you can respect the person, if not the principles. That makes sense.
2: Yes, uh, you know you, you, that story reminds me of something that the late great Roger Scruton, who was one of the more prolific conservatives in Britain, a, a, a conservative philosopher, much in the form of Russell Kirk. I didn't agree with all of his um, precepts, but he said that in, in a, during a theological debate that really uh, has made has has shaped the course in the actions in my political journey. He said, uh, when someone was critiquing the idea of the burning bush in the Bible, and Roger Scruton said, well, you know, when, when the bush called out, or when God called out, I am that I am, you have to take the eye of that statement and try to use that as a way to see into another person's experience. And so that is what I try to do. I try to see into other people's experiences in politics.
1: Can you stick with me for one more segment?
2: Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Okay,
1: Christian Watson is my guest, and I'm happily picking his brain. We'll be back right after this.
0: This This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: All right, welcome back to the show. I, I had only planned to have uh, Christian on for the first two segments this hour, but Christian Watson, you're, you're doing too good a job. I wanted to, I wanted to keep you around and pick your brain for just a couple more minutes here. Um, you and I were having a discussion about how people can have very differing points of view, and and yet somehow the Earth doesn't necessarily have to tip off its axis and fall into the sun. Now politics doesn't really preach that, but you know I, I'm still I'm a hopeful person that 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 could be the case. Talk to me about your thoughts on uh, the the ongoing protests what are we at are we coming up on 90 days now of of protests across the country there's been rioting in the streets there's been uh, you know people um attacking businesses attacking courthouses police officers uh, attacking each other i think the 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 struggle sessions uh, comparable to, to Mao's Red Guard, you know, taking place, you know, at, at various D.C. restaurants earlier this week where people were just sitting there eating their, their dinner and and they were accosted by a mob of people telling them, you have to raise your fist in solidarity with us. What's your take? you got you've got to have a take on this.
2: <laughs> of course. Oh, when when the George Floyd protests, which are indeed uh, entering uh, many months now, uh, began this summer. There came a point after the fourth day into the protests, after Minneapolis had been on fire and other places were on fire, where I just, I I was looking through Twitter and I was looking through, uh, you know, I was looking through a few news sites, Fox News and and, and CNN, and I just, I broke down and I cried. And that was one of the few times in recent time where I've just cried. It was overwhelming. It was, and I, I, look, I've lived through, I was young, I was young, I'm 20 now, I was like 12 or 13. I lived through Sandy Hook. I live through Newtown, I live through Aurora, I've lived through I live through Freddie Gray. I've seen a lot of chaos. I and mean, in Freddie Gray, Baltimore was on fire. They destroyed almost everything. Entire blocks were shut down for months because of how much damage was going on. And then the I, I have seen all of these things transpire over the last decade, and none of them hit me as hard as the demise of George Floyd did, primarily because of what people were saying about it and what people and how people were tying their value as a human being and the value of other people as human beings to what had happened, and basically trying to use that as a litmus test to determine if you're a good person or not. That's what messed with me. That is what disturbed my mind so much. And what you're seeing in Kenosha and the language surrounding it is absolutely no different. Over the, this past weekend, two guys, Jacob Blake in the Kenosha and uh, Mr. Pellerin, Trafer Pellerin, in Lafayette, Louisiana, were shot. Now, when, immediately when they were shot, almost immediately, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris condemned it. Uh, ben, ben Crump, who is a progressive, crusading attorney, much in the form of the late William Kunstler who represented uh, the people at the Democratic Convention in the 60s, or Gloria Allred, Uh, he, he has said, okay, this is wrong. He immediately jumped onto it. This was before any of the information had come out, before anything had been been known. All we knew was a video and some incensed rage from people who saw the incident. We didn't know very much else. And to this day, we don't know very much else. But now, some conservative pundits are jumping on the bandwagon and bringing up his criminal history and using that as a means to invalidate Mr. Blake and say so that anything this guy does, since he was a criminal, is is justified in what happened to him. That's equally as despicable. Yes, We should not valorize people because they were victims of police brutality. But we should understand that police brutality is still a very concerning problem. And if Mr. Blake was in the process of committing an abominable act while he was at that house, we don't know right now. We think that he was helping someone pacify a dispute, and then a police scanner came out that said, no, he was actually not supposed to be there. So whatever the case, if he was doing something abominable in that process, Mr. Blake should be promptly prosecuted. But we don't know that. We understand, though, that certain individuals are rushing to judgment on their ideological presuppositions, both Democrats and Republicans, both conservatives and liberals. And they are using that to just bludgeon a man who is now going to be paralyzed for the rest of his life. We need, we need to have some pause about this. We do not need to go out in Kenosha, emulate a fire, uh, emulate a fire truck, destroy a used car lot, you know, it, literally destroy your economic capital, which if there is true injustice, you will need economic capital to fight it. You're destroying your ability to fight it is what you're doing. We don't need to go down Lafayette, Louisiana, and try to do the same thing as well. We don't need to be in Washington, D.C., going to Mexican restaurants, trying, saying white silence is complicity. And complicity in what? And why does my silence have a color? last time i checked silence was a sound as the great paul simon and garfunkel said it's a sound it's not it's not a color it's a sound last time i checked so it's just all, all of it is simply us interpreting situations for how we want to see them not for how they actually are and we got to stop that, or this will get worse more people will die and eventually i mean people are talking about a civil war i don't think that will happen but i think that there will be more civil unrest and more civil struggle that will threaten to rend the, the sort of unity cohesion that is necessary to have any sort of uh, society
1: this is why I love your take on these kind of things Christian I you're, you're speaking my language I <laughs> I don't I don't know what the answer is I it outrages me to see uh, people who are um, protesting against injustice going out and creating more victims in the name of protesting and injustice it's <laughs> like do we really need more victims when there are already people who are victims so I, I can't control them. I have no control over the public generally, but I do have control over my own heart. So here's my resolution, and that is, all right, I'm going to continue to stand for what I believe to be the truth. Now, I'm open to new truth, and I'll I'll adjust my life accordingly as that new truth comes to me. But my resolve is to not bring further anger into an already volatile situation. And that's that's easier said than done. Because my, my blood starts to come from a low simmer to a high boil as I watch some of the videos of, of people just being, just being aggressive and abusive to one another. That really bothers me. But I'm trying to be very careful not to let my emotions get the better of me and not to let my, my hatred or my anger with what someone else is doing or saying outweigh my love for the things that I stand for.
2: When you have, and I agree with you entirely emotions need to be confined to their proper place. And emotions in their proper place, they are, they, emotions are things which are shown by us if we want them to be shown. I say that, that's powerful right there, because you have power over your emotions you have a power over how you respond to situations right we, we can't control what happened with mr blake but we can control how we responded to it which is why miss jackson and his mother and, and his entire family they're all saying this violence is not emblematic of what we want it does not represent our heart and this is the same thing that happened with george floyd his brother was like don't do this violence don't destroy things don't emulate things Don't destroy our communities it is not what george would have wanted so this violence is not even coming from the families themselves. These George, Mr. Blake's family is actually uh, deep into the uh, the AME church. They are deep into civil rights. They have a, a a deep aversion to violence and a true love of nonviolence. So that's number one. So we should understand the families, the families themselves don't even want that kind of chaos to be happening. That's number one. Uh, number two, we should also understand that when you have a— they lose a consortium of academic literature, which has been constantly advanced. Now, I'm going to say something that might not be very popular. Uh, advanced against white people. <laughs> I mean, you're going to have a lot of people who view everything through the lens of race, and you know they're going to have them do dangerous things to that victim group. It's the same thing with with certain other ideological groups. If you have uh, a, a scapegoating of immigrants. You're going to have a nativist do things towards immigrants. And with white fragility and other sort of things, like Sean King said that, that white Jesus and white Christianity and whiteness is evil, when you have a racism of any kind, whether against white people or black people, right now it's against white people, you're going to have violent actions. This is an infection of the mind. It is an infection of ideology. It is something we have to turn away from. Right? Corrupt ideas and corrupt notions will breed corrupt actions. So we need to not be racist towards anyone but and that also means not being racist towards whom a lot of progressives think hold the power in society, which is nonsense. Because why wasn't why, why, why white folks? We need to stop because there are white folks who literally had Black Lives Matter on their businesses, on their on the on their signpost, and their businesses were still torched. What more do you want? I don't understand. We have to get beyond race, and I'm working on a piece right now which argues that race does not really exist. It's an illusion that has been presented as socially consequential, but we're all really just the same. So that is that is my perspective on the entire thing. Get rid of this competition of race and recognize that we are all equal, regardless of who we are.
1: Here, here, Christian, let's take uh, the remaining 30 seconds or so that we have here. Tell people about your podcast, Pensive Politics. Tell them where they can subscribe for it
2: you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, uh, anywhere you want to. And I would encourage you however, go to youtube.com, type in Christian Watson and subscribe to me. I'll be in a little suit and everything. That's where you can go find it.
1: Okay. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to include uh, I'll have a link to uh, to Apple Podcasts in in the show notes which you can find at the dot com. I'm also going to have a link to your Twitter account since uh, you regularly uh, post content there that's that's worth reading as well christian thanks for letting me hang with you for a little bit been great to have you as a guest and let's do this again sometime real soon
2: absolutely i agree
1: okay we will take a quick break we'll be back just the other side of these messages
0: The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right. Welcome
1: back to the show. I do want to mention that among our great sponsors... We have the Staples Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. I don't know if you are in the market to refinance your home mortgage. A lot of people are looking at this right now going, hey, it might be a good time to jump on it. Maybe you're looking for a new home loan before you do anything. And this is particularly true if you are listening to me in my home state of Utah or any of the 23 states where Patriot Home Mortgage does their work. I want to encourage you, go to them. Particularly, I want you to seek out the Staples Turner team, which you can find at staplesmortgage.com. John is so good at what he does, and he's been a very trusted friend for a long time. Um, I want you to understand, I'm picky. I am selective about the people who I will bring on as sponsors of the show. And, and it's in part because um, I don't want to steer you wrong. I'm not going to send you to somebody who's selling snake oil because, hey, they're paying me money, and that's, you know, that's what they want me to do. If, if it's somebody who I could not personally use myself, I'm not going to send you to them. So when I tell you, John is the guy to count on. He and his wife, Heather, the Staples Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. They are the real deal. They have the expertise. They have the clout to get things done for you. I want you to know I'm, I'm, I'm extending my credibility. I'm putting my credibility on the line to steer you to them if that's what you need. Or if you know someone who needs a new mortgage or a refinance, staplesmortgage.com. It's that simple. All right, so... A lot of crazy stuff going on right now. Ammon Bundy just got arrested for the second time in two days for trespassing at the Idaho State Capitol. People can think whatever they want to about Ammon Bundy, but uh, this is a guy who is uh, walking the walk. And I want to just say the record needs to show he's not being violent. He's not going out there destroying people's property. He is not you know, depriving other people of their rights. Uh, the only thing he's depriving people of is is that blissful ignorance that they would rather stay mired in than acknowledge the uh, painful truths that our, our freedoms are rapidly evaporating and, and Ammon is not taking it lying down and apparently uh, he was arrested yesterday zip tied to a chair and wheeled off by Idaho state police well he was bailed out last night along with a couple other people who were there uh, complaining that that the press had been kicked out of this closed uh, this uh, session of this emergency session of the Idaho legislature And he went back today and Idaho State Police swarmed him and arrested him just like that. That's kind of discouraging. The stuff that we're seeing coming out of, uh, you know, Kenosha, Wisconsin, bloodshed, mobs attacking people. I mean, it's 2020 has been a crazy year and it's not letting up. Oh, and there's also a category Four hurricane heading for the Gulf Coast. It looks like Texas and maybe Louisiana are are in for um, a wicked ride. So there's a ton of bad news. I probably didn't have to tell you that, but I'm just I'm setting up what I want to share with you next because it's really hard to find something positive that's going on. And if you need a reminder that life is more than just this growing conflict of angry, frightened voices, I have an essay I want to share with you. This is from John Pavlovitz. And I first came across this a couple of, I guess about four years ago, and shared this on Facebook. It's titled, Things that Someone Who Loved You Should Have Told You. And this may be a little too warm and fluffy for those who are, you know, hankering for some red meat. If that's the case, that's all right, man. You, maybe, maybe this isn't for you. But I'm fairly confident there's someone within the sound of my voice right now who is struggling, trying to do the right thing, trying to keep their heart centered and focused on the things that matter. And I think you'll find this extremely helpful. I know I did. John Pavlovitz writes, Words can do incredible damage, but sometimes they can't hold a candle to silence. Often it's those words that have been withheld that leave the greatest scars upon us. It is in that terrible absence that we are dealt the harshest blow by those who claim to love us. Somewhere along the line, you were denied something you needed to live, something destination-altering and hope-giving that you deserved. At some point on your path, someone should have encouraged you but refrained. They should have defended you but did not they should have released you but chose not to they should have said something instead of nothing someone should have told you that you were beautiful far beneath the surface so that you didn't grow up believing that you were defined by your waistline or your hairline or by the scale or by the affection of someone else who may have cared far too little about you someone should have told you that you were more than your worst mistake so that you weren't still imprisoned there in the spot of that momentary failure so long after it, still stuck trying to undo something that could never be undone and believing it made you less than. Someone should have told you that God was not angry with you, so that your faith was allowed safe passage to grow and fearlessly move toward the one who made you and adores you without caveat or condition, the one who delights in you as you are, Someone should have told you that it wasn't your fault so that you were relieved of the wasteful crushing burden of what you were never meant to carry or deserve to still be saddled with all the guilt and regret that unfairly declare you culpable. Someone should have told you that you were a bona fide freaking miracle, a once in history collection of atoms and color and sound so that you never doubted for a second your inherent worth and the beautiful mark you've made in the places where your feet have landed. Someone should have told you that you were forgiven, so that you didn't cling to a vicious grudge against yourself, which pronounced you dirty, so you were, try- you were not tried for the same crime again and again in the court of your own head. Someone should have told you that sad- your sadness wasn't a sickness, so you could have allowed yourself to grieve fully, to feel and speak the depth and breadth of your pain instead of daily burying it beneath a brittle facade of okayness and pretending you weren't devastated. Someone should have told you that your best was good enough and that the honest desires of your heart and the diligent work of your hands, regardless of the results, made your efforts successful. If they had told you, you may not have felt failure in anything less than perfection. Someone should have told you that you were not what people said you were. That might have emancipated you from the expectations of a million voices judging you from a distance which you believed as gospel. You might have found your identity independent of the shouts from the crowd or the cutting words of the critics. Someone should have told you that you were loved as you were, not because of anything you did or won or achieved or made, but simply because you were lovable. It may have saved you from so restlessly striving to earn what you already deserved. John Pavlovitz says, I can't undo the brutal omissions you endured in the past or the time you've squandered or the peace you've surrendered as a result. He says, I can only give you these words now as a firm and steady spot to plant your foot and pivot as you begin again down another road, one with far fewer fewer demons hiding in the bushes or the shadows to ambush you. So he says, stop to listen to the whisper in your ear that breaks the long and heavy silence and says that you are free. Feel the lightness that only love brings. Somewhere along the road, someone close to you should have told you all this, but they didn't. So he says, I am telling you, be encouraged. Now, I get it. That's not a wicked burn on, you know, someone for, you know, a political purpose. It's not a pithy put down of whatever this Democrat or that Republican said. But I'll bet you of all the things that have been been spoken over these airwaves today or that have been spoken over the bandwidth that I'm using for this show. Those words from John Pavlovitz are likely to have the best and most positive and lasting impact of all of them. And here's the takeaway that I I took from his commentary. These are things that uh, you and I could could be if we want to. We could be the delivery system for those words. We could be the source of encouragement for people who have been carrying a burden that really they don't deserve to be carrying. I mean, I want to think that this is the product of um, maturity, at work in my life that, that I understand what he's saying and, and it resonates with me and I think absolutely. This is what every one of us should be doing. We should, first of all, know this about ourselves, but we should also be willing to help affirm these kinds of things to the people around us. But I'm also confident there are those who would say, oh, please, man, you're just getting soft. You're getting wishy-washy, you're a big marshmallow. and Okay, maybe that's the case. As always, I have to consider the possibility, maybe I'm dead wrong on this. But I'll tell you something I know for certain. There are more walking wounded among us right now than we can imagine. We think we see him once in a while. We'll see somebody and we'll think, wow, that person looks like they've got a burden that they're they're carrying with them. That's just somebody who isn't concealing it as artfully as the rest of us do. I promise you, everybody's fighting a struggle at some level. Everybody is carrying a hidden wound. Anything we can do to lighten their burden or give them just a little encouragement, throw them a lifeline if necessary, it's not wasted effort. And you might just find that there's a lot more goodness out there in the universe than you suspected. It's just a thought.